Hey, welcome everybody. My name is Brad, and I'm glad that you're here. And uh, if you got a Bible, I hope you do. Open it to Matthew chapter 16. That's where we're going to launch from today. As Reynolds mentioned, we're in the middle of, uh, or in the second Sunday of our series on the church. But really, I think it's more like the first Sunday, because for the ten of us that were here during the snow day uh, last week, you remember just how great that kickoff sermon was. Um, and uh, as Reynolds mentioned, the website is up. You can go to the website on the front page there. You can. You can check out the message. We got all the notes that, uh, from last week up there. And that's something we're going to be doing differently is um, we're going to be putting all the notes from our messages up on the website that you can just access with a Word file or a PDF file or just look at it there on the Internet. Hopefully, hopefully that will help you a little bit. So I want you to uh, make, make, uh, uh, make the best out of that opportunity. But Matthew six is where, 16 is where we're going to start off today. We're going to launch off. Um, into uh, a, a kind of a philosophical look at the church today. And so I'm going to ask us three questions. And I think these three questions apply very directly to us as a church. And not only to us as a church, but every church, but, and also to us as individual Christians. And I can see the sun coming in right there. So um, have we got any ministers of windows? Yeah, there we go. <laughs> Justin, thank you, brother. Um, crank that baby up so we don't get suntans on half of our face. Uh, but we're going to ask three questions today, and, uh, and these are three questions that, uh, quite honestly, I did not really think this way when we started the church uh, about four years ago. Um, I uh, just kind of wanted to preach the gospel, had a burden for people, had a burden for church, and just kind of started with really the third question, which we'll get into today, and didn't really consider too much of the first two as much as I should have, and um, but now that we're kind of into it, I realize how very important it is to uh, to think through as a Christian on a mission, doing church together, to think through uh, life and church and worship to God in this order. And I think it's really, really important. So I hope it'll be strategic for us and um, and good. So let me see. There was a couple things I wanted to mention. Anything I'm losing? Hey, we got a, a chaplain here uh, that is uh, just raise your hand. Darren. Darren is a chaplain in the army here doing uh, airborne school. He's a friend of Tim and Regan's. So make sure you say hi to Tim. We got anybody going to Ranger School today? You know, is that is that a couple weeks, David? Um, you're in a, two weeks. We got a couple guys in Ranger School. We need to pray for them. That's not fun, especially when it snows and it's like 20 degrees out. So um, let's remember those guys. We got some pregnant ladies in here that um, are in their first, second, third trimester. So we need to pray for the pregnant ladies. Um, and I think that's about it. Well, hey. Um, Let's uh, let's get to Matthew 16 and crank it up. And uh, I'm still getting used to being up here on the stage. You guys are kind of like like this a little bit, so I'm trying to figure it out. And one of the reasons I wanted to uh, be up here on the stage is so that I could connect with you a little bit more visually instead of being down here. And but the thing is, is when I get into it, I get going and I haven't really connected with you visually. So can we just pause for like seven awkward seconds and let me just kind of make eye contact with everybody? <laughs> and I say, okay, no, that's, that's terrible. That's, that's awkward. All right. Um, all right, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the Bible and the fact that we can gather. And we, we know that, look, we just get in a habit, God, where we, we just were like little, like the seven dwarves going off to work. You know, like this is just kind of what we do. But God, I, I pray that you would that you'd somehow help, help us to to really just get a sense in, in a deeper way every time we gather on Sundays about how, how all-consuming, how big you are, how amazing you are, that we're not getting together to encourage one another with moralistic ideas, but we're here to worship and to renew and to restore and to connect and engage with the maker of all things and and our finite minds have difficulty plugging into that on a regular basis. So, God, would you, would you help us to, to right now just kind of let things sort of fall off of us for a moment and connect with the holy God, maker of the universe right now? Would you help us? And, and then would you help us realize that there's this amazing thing that you've given us called the Bible, which is your self-revelation to us, it doesn't tell us everything because we could not contain that, but it tells us everything that is sufficient for life and godliness. And so, God, it is stunningly spectacular what you have done for us through the Bible. So would we come to it with 
maybe more reverence and awe than we might naturally come to it? And would it, would it, would it read us today? Would we not just flippantly read it? And then as we leave this place today, God, I, would, we, would we be captured by a love and, a, and this divine grace that you have given us? And would it move us? Would, would we just break out of doing things kind of like how we regularly do them today? And would you, would you communicate through me? I know I am a... I know I am in the process of restoration and my sanctification is far from completed. I am a feeble representation often of what I should be as a pastor and as a man and as a husband and as a father. And I, I am a broken stick, God. But you, you, you draw straight lines with broken sticks. And so, God, I, I just don't want to preach a sermon today. I, I don't want us to just get out of here and eat lunch and comment and take naps and then then get up and go about i want us i wanted i want us to be seized by what we're doing here as, as christians who who just have been ransomed and rescued and saved and god would you help us just get a hold of that for for a few minutes here at the beginning of our week and then would it begin a momentum in our lives to where we were propelled to live Live differently, live greater, live, live better, and live in a more God-honoring, worshipful way. And so I, I know that's a lofty prayer. And would you do this, I pray, by your grace, and instruct us and help us, and then let us respond, especially the men. Not because men are more important than women, but because men are more strategic in their roles. That if the men will have a passion, and if the fathers will lean forward in the foxhole, then things begin to happen. So, God, would you, would you seize the hearts of some men in here today? Some fathers and husbands and young men. And w- would, we, would we lean forward into your grace? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, um, Matthew 16 is... is uh, where we're going to launch from today, and it's a you got some church time in you. It's a pretty familiar portion of scripture. It's where Jesus, where Jesus takes Peter's confession of faith, and he he really does something very profound there. And he says, "Hey, this is you got it, Peter. This is this is what we're going after here." And so there's a lot that we could say about this particular passage of scripture, which um, we have previously, and I'm sure we will again in the future. But today we're just using it as a launching point for. Um, are three questions. In fact, the first question that we want to ask today is in this passage. And so I'm going to read Matthew 16 and starting in verse 13. And this is Jesus with his disciples in this region. He's kind of in the middle of his ministry going about doing um, his works that the Bible says in the book of John that if we were to add them all up and write them, there would not be enough books in the world to contain how many works Jesus did. It's just awe-inspiring. But this is what it says in Matthew 16, verse 13. It says, Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea, Philippi, he asked his disciples, and there's this whole kind of scuttle going around, like, who's Jesus? He's done these things. He's healed these people. There's a lot going on. And he's saying, he's asking them, not because he's really wanting to know. I mean, remember, this is God asking the question, kind of God knows everything, sort of. But there's a strange whole doctrine about Jesus's humanity mixed with his divinity. So, I mean, we're not going to get into that debate now, but it's kind of sort of comical sometimes, I think, when Jesus asks questions. But there's something greater going on there. He's drawing something out of them. And he says, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And, and they said in verse 14, some say John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And he, prophets. And he said to them, but, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. There's, um, in the church today, in modern day America, there's, there's, I think there's a real movement in America to take Christianity and to make it like functional and, and 
kind of self-helpish to sort of clump it because I think we are a tolerant society and we are a pluralistic society in the sense that we tolerate, you know, we don't have just one state religion. There's this sense where we just kind of, I think the church has been watered down. Christianity, the message of the gospel in a context like America has been watered down to the point where, where even Christians have this subconscious thought that Christianity is kind of just this life 2.0 where you know, you, you're basically a pretty decent person because you're an American and because you, you, don't, you don't commit any crimes. I mean, you know, you don't jaywalk is jaywalking is maybe the worst thing you do. I mean, I, I, once I remember this vividly, there was this store down the street from where I grew up and I stole a candy bar. I was probably seven or eight years old. I stole a candy bar. That was like the only crime I think I've ever committed. That's not true, but we don't have to get into that. But the point is, is, is I've never been arrested. Um, thank goodness. No, not yet anyway. I've got a few more years to go. But we, we kind of have this, this mentality that we're all basically pretty good people. And for those of us that have received Christ, that, that, that it's, it's basically kind of a, a life 2.0. It is, for many Christians in America, it's... It's nothing more than just some functional help on how to do life a little bit better. And that is, that is a disease. It, 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 that, absolutely, that, that mentality strips the gospel of its power. <laughs> this is not real popular. I mean, in fact, this is wildly unpopular. And if you're going to read any books about how to get people to come and follow you and build a church, this would not be in there. But... Um, but like we have to consider that i mean the bible draws some stark contrasts and one of them is that that without christ we are wicked rebellious sinners that are bound for hell i, I don't think of i i i honestly don't ever think that that's been my de- i don't think i have never thought that way I was a basically, a, at least in the eyes of modern America, a decent little kid that grew up in America, wasn't real rebellious, had some you know, problems with various things. But when I was 18, on March 16th, 1989, and I became a Christian, I did not have a sense that I was being snatched from hell. I did not have a sense at all that I was on my way to hell as God's judgment for my rebellion. In fact, I didn't even feel like I was in rebellion. And what that has produced, I think, in, in part of my Christianity is a very feeble appreciation for what it is to be a Christian. Let me, let me read to you some scriptures that, that, uh, that just absolutely, we just, I just can't get past. Go to Colossians chapter 1. And the first question we're answering or we're asking here is, is who is Jesus? And like a subset of that question is, what has he done? Okay, this is the, this is the question. Who is Jesus and what has he done? And I know that's actually two questions, but anyway, just let's pretend it's one. Who is Jesus and what has he done? And I think that is the first question that any group of people that call themselves a church or any person that becomes a Christian must no, like you, you can't move on. You can't get past. You have to be able to answer this question well. And you got to know what the Bible says about this question. So go to, go to Colossians. It's just a little book in the New Testament. Um, right on Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Okay, check this out. Colossians chapter, chapter 1 and verse 11. It says, this is the Apostle Paul writing. He says, may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. For all endurance and patience with joy. Listen to this, verse 12. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Verse 13, here's the big one. He has delivered us. This is written to a group of people called the Colossians, but it's, it made it into the Bible because it is timeless and eternal and universal in its scope. So, so we, although this is written to the saints at Colossus, it's written to the saints in, in, in the old Mountain Hill schoolhouse today. He has, if you're a Christian, delivered us from the domain of darkness. Just, just chew on that sentence for a while. I was, 
I didn't think this way because I was a pretty good kid. I was the captain of the football team and I was, I went to Boys State, whatever that is in California and I went to the capital in Sacramento and I, and I, you know, I was a good kid and I got a scholarship and I got good grades, but, but I, I didn't, because the culture was telling me that I was pretty good, I had no appreciation for the fact that I was in the domain of darkness. And so when I became a Christian, it was like, oh, well, that's just a natural progression. Now I've got Jesus and He can help me out. But unless we realize that, that He, if you're a Christian today, He has delivered you from something. I mean, you've been rescued. And, and, and that, that is who Christ is. He is the Savior, the Redeemer, the Restorer, the Rescuer. He's not the Helper, primarily. Now, of course He helps. But He's not, that's not His first deal. It's not like, hey, um... Jesus saddles up to you when you're 35 years old and your marriage is on the rocks and you're having trouble in your interpersonal relationships. And I can help you with that. If you would just read the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, you would realize that you're supposed to turn the other cheek. I mean, what is that? I mean, would that work for somebody who's not a Christian to start living the principles of the Bible? Of course, because it's eternally true. But that's not Christianity. I mean, am I making any sense here? Or am I just... Give me a north-south if you're tracking with me. All right, thank you very much. He has delivered us. I mean, no, I mean, I mean, I want you to think about. It. I mean, there's no difference really in the destiny of anybody in this room and like the worst sinner in the world. I mean, like, like do, you, do you think of? Let's pick the most notorious bad name in the world today: Osama bin Laden who, by the way, is not outside of the clutches of God's grace as long as he's alive on this earth so God could transform his soul and make him a Christian. But let's just say that he dies today without Christ. I think we could probably say with some certainty, although it's, you know, who knows, that he would be in hell. And most of us would think, oh, well, I'm nowhere near that. But do you realize that without Christ's rescuing, we're there with him? I mean, just, I mean, we don't think that way because everything in America pulls us in the opposite direction. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and has transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And so the first question is like, who is Christ and what has He done? He hasn't just come to help you or to improve your life, which of course He does, but that comes after you get a, just a, a, an anchor, a footing dug in your life to where you just, you just are so thankful that whether you're a pretty good American or whether you are a, a, a decadent, degradant, and I don't even know if that's a, a word, but you know what, I'm just a bad dude who's a drug dealer, a murderer, a vile sinner, regardless, all of us, I mean, we've been rescued, we haven't just been helped. I mean, that, that, you, can't, you can't move on, like, how do you get past that? Like, how do you all of a sudden just go, oh, yeah, well, I'm a Christian. This is what I do. I'm a pretty decent. No, how do you get past the fact? Look, think of it this way. A couple Wednesdays ago, Reynolds has been teaching this men's Bible study in, at the point on Wednesday mornings on First Peter. And it's just been so good. And if you're a man and you're, you're, you're not doing anything on Wednesday mornings at 630, which should be most of you. But anyway, um, if you're if still time to jump in on this, I mean, it's really, really good. And he was talking about First Peter chapter 1 that talked about how we've been born again into this living hope that God caused us to be born again. And this thought came to me that how kind of the two different ways of viewing salvation. Like, think about it this way. If let's say I was about to wander out blindfolded onto a busy interstate and there was a Mack truck coming barreling down the highway at 75 miles an hour and Reynolds before I was about to step in front of that Mack truck, he grabbed me by the, by the collar of my shirt and yanked me out from behind that, that Mack truck, in front of that Mack truck, and saved my life from certain deaths. Compare that to if you're just walking with your buddy, like me and Reynolds are walking along, and, and um, I'm talking to him, like, oh, yeah, what's up, dude? And there's this door that's open, and I almost cracked my noggin on this open door, and he goes, whoa, hey, watch out, oh, yeah, you're going to hit the door, oh, okay, thanks, thanks, dog, thanks, thanks. I mean, no, think, be honest now, do we not sort of generally treat salvation kind of like the second way? Like we almost bumped into a door, and Jesus said, hey, watch out, oh, thanks, Jesus, 
what's up, dog? I mean, but that's, that's kind of how we, that's kind of how we treat Jesus, right? And, I mean, think if, if that did happen. Like, you got snatched from a Mack truck, and, and it just, by grace, you just got, you would be telling that story for the rest of your life. And you would remember that moment. And in fact, the Apostle Paul, if you read the book of Acts, and he did get snatched. He, was, he had an appreciation. In fact, he wrote these things. And 10, 15, 20, 30 years after the day when Jesus came back down from heaven, knocked him off of a donkey, and said, Saul, you will now be mine. Serve me. And snatched him from the domain of darkness and transferred him into the kingdom of his son, whom he loves. Years later, Paul is still before these, these rulers in the Roman Empire. And he said, look, look, man, I just, Jesus didn't just help me. He snatched me. And on three or four occasions in the book of Acts, he tells his testimony. And it wasn't, hey, Jesus can help you. It is, Jesus rescued my soul. And it produces this profound thankfulness to where his whole life is about just, just telling people about who Jesus is and what he's done. And so, so my, my first answer or question to us as a church is like, do we, do we have that nailed down? Like, who is Jesus and what has he done? And, and not just us as a church, but as an individual. Like, do you, do you, do you know that? Like, maybe you're in here today and you, you just, for the past ten minutes, you've realized, gosh, I, I don't know that I've been snatched. I don't know that I've really realized that I'm accountable to a God who, without him doing that, there is no hope for me. But I can trust in Christ and turn from my sin and that can be mine and I can have that. That, that may be you and you can have a chance to do that before the end of the day. Or maybe you're a Christian and you kind of realize, you know what? I know I'm a Christian, but I think I've kind of viewed salvation more like he kept me from bumping into a door. It's like, who is Christ and, and what has he done is the first question. And then that moves us to the second question, which is, which is for everybody, not just the the christian leaders or the pastors or the preachers it's for every christian and that question is what now is he calling us to do what now is jesus calling us to do check this out go to second corinthians uh chapter five like jesus calls every christian and he gives them a mission and he says i've got something for you to do on this earth and some group of people for you to shine my light to and to impact and to glorify me through your life to this person. This is what he writes to the Corinthians. And by the way, he's not writing to like the pastors or the preachers. It's just a bunch of people who are, who are struggling with their life and sanctification and who they are. And, and they're just messed up people just like us. In fact, this same group of people, Paul wrote another letter called First Corinthians, and just read that. It reads like a Jerry Springer episode. I mean, he starts off and he says, gosh, I love you guys. I thank you so much. You know, I can see the grace of God in your life. And oh, by the way, tell that dude to stop sleeping with his stepmom. That's not good. And this guy over here, stop, like, stop having sex with the temple prostitutes, you know, right after church. That's not good. And these are like, this is people in the church. All right? So it's not like, oh, well, obviously Paul is writing to the Corinthians here who are some super Christians. No, it's people like us that then he does this thing too and then he asks us this second question like what am i sending i'm calling you to do something and this is is spelled out in this verse second corinthians 5 verse 11 he says therefore knowing the fear of the lord and, and i think we can maybe parentheses that and say therefore knowing like who christ is and what he's done that he's done more than just keeping us from bumping into a door He's, he's, he's kept us from getting run over by a truck. He, therefore, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is also known to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. Okay, let's keep going. It gets, it gets very applicable here in just a moment. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us. I think the NIV version says the love of Christ 
compels us. So, so the answer to question number one, like who is Christ and what has he done, this love that he has shown, it compels me, it controls me. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, Therefore, all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Listen to that last sentence. It says, so we've kind of concluded this because of the amazing work that Jesus has done. We have concluded that we who live might no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died for us and was raised. So Christ has a mission and a purpose and a work for every Christian on this earth to do. And like, how often do we in church circles kind of like force that issue? Like, what's Jesus calling you to do? Like, what is your deal on this earth? I mean, what, what is it? Now, we tend to do one of two things. We tend to either just want to build a crowd and like feed you life function stuff. Like say, hey, you know, you know, just come and listen to me and be a better person who has, you know, more self-help principles in your life. Or we want to say, ah, but well, you know, the only people that really do stuff are like the, you know, the people who are building orphanages in Haiti or whatever, or, you know, really like missionaries in Africa. But I think this applies like, like to the average, everyday, ordinary Christian just like us. Like, what is Christ calling us to do? Like, to be as a church, to live? How, how is he calling you to be a businessman on Tuesday morning? And how is he calling you on Thursday to, to have a, a, a tough conversation? How, what, how does that work? Like, you, we all have a mission. Every one of us has a mission. And, and that's the second, the second question that Jesus is, is asking us. What is he calling us to do? Now, let's push back from the specificity of it here for just a moment and kind of go wide angle on the church. Is that the first question is, well, what is he calling us to do as a church? Or, I mean, let's get back to question number one. What, what is, who is Jesus and what has he done? He's not like a self-help guru. He's the savior, redeemer, reconciler, restorer, rescue of our souls. The second question is, and what is he sending us? What is he calling us to do? He's not just calling us to gather a large crowd. You get a bunch of sharp, young, professional couples together so we can be the hip happening church. You get a bunch of cool kids with stonewashed jeans and, and um, soul patches and messed up hair and guitars. I mean, he's, he's, he's got us on a mission. And so we as a church kind of have to figure out, like, what is our deal? Like, what are we really trying to do here? Like, are we just trying to kind of just be like a, get a bunch of people together? Or do we really see that we're entrusted with a message that we're trying to take? And here's, here's what I think our, our mission is. I think we live in a very, very religious area where a lot of people, and listen to me, this is important. We live in a very religious area, and I don't mean this in a condemning, judging way. But we live in a very religious area where a lot of people are religious, but they don't truly know Christ. And actually, I think that is more dangerous than the whack places on the coast like California, New York, and all these strange places where weird people come from. Um, I'm from California, by the way. If you're... Because like, people are more spiritually honest in some of those places. You know, like... They didn't grow up getting a bulletin from First Baptist or Second Methodist or Third Presbyterian or Fourth. My dog is bigger than your dog, Holy Temple, you know, praise center. And so that, so, like when they hear the message of the gospel, I think they engage it a little bit more honestly. Billy Graham once said that America has just enough of the gospel or Jesus to be inoculated to it. And, and so I, th- I think that because of the weakness of the message, by and large, in churches, because we've kind of preached a self-help Jesus, because we don't preach against sin, I mean, one of the largest, one of the pastors of the largest churches, maybe the largest churches in America, like, cannot, he, he, he got on a national talk show, and he couldn't like, talk about sin and the cross and hell. And, and I'm not saying that we want to do that every Sunday, but like, We live in a religious society that has not really confronted their own sin, and so people kind of think that they're okay, but they're not okay because they haven't really been fed the gospel. They've been fed just sort of 
self-help. And, and so, here's, so how does this apply? I think our mission is, is to, to be very, very clear about what the gospel is and what our responsibility as people is to that message. And so I think our mission as a church is to, is to very clearly and very biblically just, just, just proclaim question number one, the answer to question number one. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus, religious kid that grew up in Columbus, that went to a few teen advisor meetings and a couple of Young Life meetings and is now secretly living a life of sin, and, but then shows up at church on Sunday? Who, who is Jesus? He's not just a helper. He's not a cultural religion. He's not a, he's not a guru. He is the God who demands everything out of you. And that doesn't mean that you all of a sudden have to be some holy roller. No, it means that you come into a community of people who are all together progressively struggling with sanctification to trying to honestly live out and glorify their answer to number one. But we've got to be clear. So our mission is to just answer for our religious culture. Who is Jesus? He's not a stained glass window. He's not a certain style of worship. He is not just going to the place where your grandma went. He's not those things. He is the creator who saved you if you will trust in him. And then the rest of your life is in response to that, you religious person. That's what our message is to our culture. And that's who we are. We are not like an alternative to traditional church because traditional church can be beautiful for some people. And we'll get more into that in a second. But our mission as a church is to be that voice of who is Christ to a religious culture. You've got to get that. Now, individually, I think flowing from that, every one of our lives should be basically the same thing. And every one of us, whether we are a housewife or the CEO of a company, however that shakes out, it's basically all like, how can I live? How can I raise my kids better? How can I do this better? How can I do so that my life helps answer that question to a lost and religious world? That that's our mission. And it may look different, right? I mean, we are primarily... Anglo in this room. I don't know if you noticed that or not. But we cannot say that we... Now listen, listen. We can't say that we love the gospel or people if, if we don't have a burden for the African American community because we live in a town that is probably 50% maybe or maybe a little less African American. So, so here's, here's a great analogy of this. What's our mission? Is our mission then to try and act more African American so that a few African Americans will come to us? Well, maybe, but I think that's kind of silly. I think that, look, I, I was born in 1971, and I was raised on Ario Speedwagon, college football, and the Dodgers. I am, you look up cracker in the dictionary, there is a picture of me. I am white bread. That's what I am, right? So that's who, and that's, by the way, that's most of you too, so don't even act like, don't even act like. But so, so, so we just kind of who we are. But you know what? I've got a friend, man. His name is Marlon Scott. He's an African-American pastor in Columbus. And he's doing a great work at this church called Emmanuel Christian Center. And so, you know what we do? We, we want to partner with them. We want to help them. Maybe someday when they get ready to purchase a facility, we want to give them some money. And we want to pray together with them. We want to occasionally get our congregations together. Because they're doing a great work reaching their context. You see, And we don't have to feel bad about that. You know why? Because in Galatians chapter 2, Paul says this. He says, I was entrusted with the gospel to the Gentiles. And Peter was entrusted with the gospel to the Jews. But there's some crossover there. That doesn't mean that if a Jew came in Paul's meeting, he's like, oh, I'm sorry, we're playing Gentile music here. I mean, you were, uh, Peter's got a nice service down the road. If you would go to the, to the Jew service, we're doing the Gentiles. No, I mean, there's some crossover. But you kind of know who your mission is, right? And you run with that and you're on a mission. And your mission is not just to come on Sundays and get fed so that you can have a self-help message so that you can live a better life. That's not the mission. And it's not my mission, by the way, to just sort of feed you so that you can do that. But our mission is to understand who Christ is, to make this our proclamation in as many ways as possible as a church, to do that strategically in our community, to realize that he's calling us 
to a certain mission. And then our third question, and we'll end on this, is then, and this is the third, and this is where most churches start. And it's the third and least important question. And that question is, then how should we live this out? Like, how should we do church? Right? But most of us say, you know, I grew up 14th generation Pentecostal, and I like these songs, and I like this type of preaching, or I grew up, my granddaddy was three generations Baptist, I'm trying to catch everybody, Methodist, insert your flavor of the month, Presbyterian, Catholic, whatever you are, man. And we say, I want to do it this way. This is the way I want it to be done. And so I'm going to go seek out and say, that, that, that's the way it is. And see, the deal is, is when, we're, when this is all we care about, like I'm just going to find a church that has everything the way I like it, everything the way I like it, and then I go to it and I'm there. Then when that changes, then you, your whole apple cart gets turned upside down. And you gotta, because this is the third most important question. Look, I, I don't, I'm not passionate about the way we do church here. I don't care. But, I mean, the music's good. I hope the preaching's decent. But like, I could, like, if you, if you guys, if it was the most strategic thing for us to do was to play a pipe organ and for me to wear a suit, baby, I would rock it out every Sunday, and I wouldn't care. I, I don't care. I'll wear it. If it was the most strategic thing for us to do was to meet outside under a canopy and wear flip-flops and sing a cappella, I'd do it because I don't care. Now, I've got some preferences, I admit. (laughs) All right? I do. All right? But, like, here's my question for us. Like, does your preference... Trump your theology? And does your preference trump your mission? Now listen, I realize everybody's built differently because I want to I have great grace here because here's the analogy I would give. Like my in-laws, Jennifer's parents, that's redundant, I realize that. You realize that? Um, they're a different culture than I am. And they've grown up in a different context. And they do church a little bit differently than I do. And that's not a bad thing. In fact, it's beautiful and it's wonderful. But that the way they do church should flow out of this question. Like, what's their mission? God has sent that group of people to this group of people. And God has sent this group of people to this group of people. So whether we're we're doing it in a certain way. That should be very, very incidental. And we should have great grace for other people that do it differently than we do. I mean, who really cares? As long as it's biblical and not like whack and goofy. Who really? I mean, by the way, biblical worship and biblical gathering can be done a variety of different ways. So, so don't just think that your little way is biblical. Okay, can we have a little bit of grace about that? Look, the answer, this but when we lead with this, when we say, like, this is the way I want to do it, everything kind of falls apart and it becomes hollow and it becomes temporary and it's no good. And it just kind of calls other disgruntled Christians who are upset about the way somebody else is doing church. And so we all just kind of huddle and we do like, yeah, we do church better over here. Oh, yeah, we do church better over here. But nobody's, like, answering the most important question that flows into the next most important question. Do you see that? Look, we're four years old this April. If we're still doing, if we're still answering this question the same way we are today, another four years from now, then we have ceased to understand this and this. What we're doing here should change. Look, in maybe a year or so, maybe less than that, we are eagerly searching for a building. And when we find a building, it's going to change some things. And it might change the way we do things. And will that throw us off? Will it? Well, I mean, is that the, it's like how we kind of do this in the vibe? I mean, that's the third most important question. But when Christians are like, they're just, they're just captivated with like who Christ is. And they just, they're just grabbed with the sense that he has, he has rescued them. And he has put them on a mission to reach a religious lost culture, then how we do this, just, that, just becomes, that just becomes like our, however, in fact, read 1 Corinthians 
chapter 9, I won't get into it, but Paul says, look, I'm, I'm willing to become all things to all people that I might save some. I'll, look, I'll, I'll do it this way if that's the most strategic thing that I can do to reach this group of people that God has given me favor with. And this is a question that all of us must answer. And I end with this. And let me just mention kind of the consumer view of church, but we've kind of boiled down church to that Christianity to just sort of like come to church and see if we can do it a little bit better than the other guy. I mean, what is that? That is just, that's just human ingenuity trying to compete against other Christians to do this in a more hip way. That's sick. And it's very ineffective at doing anything except shifting sheep from one flock to another. And it's just it's good. And so we, we beat people over the head. Come to church, come to church, come to church. But you know, what, you know what that's like? I mean, yeah, of course come to church. But you know what that's like? It's like telling a husband, kiss your wife. Kiss your wife. The mark of a good husband is to kiss your wife. Kiss your wife. Kiss your wife. Kiss your wife. How many times did you kiss your wife this week? I mean, like the mark. We can know you're a good husband if you kiss. I mean, should husbands kiss their wives? (laughs) Yeah. Often. Occasionally long. European style, baby. But, like, is that the mark of being a good husband? No, that's just the outflow. That's just kind of the tip. That's just the outflow of what two people do when they're in love with each other. And so we've kind of boiled down Christianity in our culture to, like, be a regular church attender, brother. I mean, should, should, you, should you really, like, lean forward and commit to being here and involved? And, yeah, of course. But, like, when it becomes the, like, the identifying characteristic, I mean, seriously? Uh, who is Christ, man? Who is, like, what has he done? And then that flows into simple things, like, like here's, here's another thing, and I end on this. Like, I know that we're like a young church and like we need a lot of people have to do stuff and work in the nursery and stuff like that and, and do some things. And, you know, I know it's a struggle sometimes, but like, do you realize that like when we're all kind of together on a mission, like how that's answering this question, like, like the person that, that is right now in the toddler room and inevitably there's somebody in there who's, who's maybe just a wee bit frustrated. Right? With your kid. <laughs> um, and don't laugh because you'll be there in two weeks. But, but do you realize that what's going on there? It's not just like, ah, oh, I just got to do this and I wish they'd figure it out better. And if they've just, you know, if everybody just. So what's happening is like maybe there's a visitor in here today. And, and there may be a visitor in here today who, who does not truly know what the answer to the first question is. Right? But they walked in a little bit scared because. Because, you know, it's kind of hard to get into just wondering how this is going to go. And you hand your child to somebody that's in there. And see, that person that's in there has got like a really good attitude because they know that they're living for something greater. Like they know that Jesus is like the rescuer, redeemer. And so they kind of realize that they're part of a community that's trying to live out this mission. And so although it's not real fun to kind of give up maybe a Sunday, you're kind of in there and you've got a good attitude. And, and just something happens right there. Like, like a good attitude is exchanged. You know, like a, like a pleasantness, like an aroma of Christ is transferred in that moment. And what it does is it frees that nervous kind of new couple. Oh, but they see, they look like they know who Jesus is, but they don't. And then it kind of frees their soul up a little bit. And then there's a group of people who have been across point from the beginning, and they're not congregated over in the corner having their little little holy huddle talking about silly stuff. They're kind of like, they're kind of, oh, there's somebody new. Hey, dude, I'll check with you. I'll give you a call. And boom, they're over there, and they're like, hey, what's your name? They're not like jumping on them like, let's be blood brothers, you know, like, you know, like too much Christian, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. But they're just kind of engaging people like, 
And they're saying, like, come on. And then this person's like, oh, wow, like their soul, like their heart is softened a little bit. Like, wow, there's something a little bit. I mean, nobody's doing, like, there's no laser light shows or cool video. I mean, it's just kind of like, like, everybody's just kind of, like, like, subversively living on mission. It's not complicated. And then, then that person kind of comes in here, and, and then the worship guys are like, they're prepared, right? Like they haven't been up till 3 o'clock in the morning playing Warcraft or some silly little video game. And so they're like alive, you know what I'm talking about? And they're ready to start it. And then they worship. And then they're like, wow, this is like, oh, wow, like, oh, these people are actually singing. Because there's a person three or four rows over who has no specific duties that day in the church, but they're just there. Like, they're there, man. They're part of the church, and, and they're kissing their wife. And they're there, and they're like, yes. And they're like, it chips away at the soul, man. It does something for the person who doesn't know Jesus. It does something, and they're like, like, what is that? Like, it chips away. Do you see that, man? Do you see that when, you, when you're in it, man, you just you chip away at the heart of the religious person. And they're like, what? And all these grace arrows are hitting their heart, man. They, they like got smiled at in the nursery. And the band was like bright. And then somebody was worshiping and somebody gave up their conversation to come towards them. And then they hear the they hear the answer to question number one and it's just like they hear it in a way that's different than any other way they're like really like I will a truck is going to hit me and here's what happens see that is agitating now listen to me now that is offensive that is offensive to tell somebody that you are going to hell unless you repent that is offensive and if we have been unintentional and mildly offensive The 30 minutes leading up to that moment, the likelihood of that person receiving that offense in that moment is slow, is small. Because the cross and the message is first offensive before it can ever be helpful. And so they're like, whoa, who's this crazy cat telling me that I must give my life to Christ? But there's been all these grace arrows shot at their heart throughout the day because there's a group of people living on a mission, not grumbling, because they have to sweep or keep the nursery or because they should get here on time so that they can start off by kissing their wife and worshiping. And there's this group of people. And then, like then, the Holy Spirit just does something. And we, he just he crosses rivers that we never thought we, he could cross. And he... He overcomes mountains that we never thought could be brought down. And he saves people and they, they find out the answer to question number one. <laughs> That's why we, we, we've got to be in, man. We've got to be in. That's why as a church we've got to know who Christ is. We've got to realize that he's calling us something to something bigger than just showing up. And the third thing is this. We've got to live it out strategically, and that's got to always change. Bow your heads with me. Lord, here's my burden. My burden is two, two people in here, two different groups of people. One is the person who may be through the past 45 minutes has realized that they truly do not understand the answer to question number one. But by your grace, you have hit them with an arrow, a grace arrow, and has penetrated their heart. And God, would you do something to that person right now? Would you let them realize that in order to answer that, in order to be rescued from that Mack truck, that most certainly is bearing down on them, as it was all of us in this room who are Christians, they must very simply do two things. They must turn and trust in you. They must realize that Jesus stood in front of that truck for them. But his his sacrifice, his taking the place for them only becomes effective for those that will 
receive him, that will turn and trust through faith in his sacrifice on the cross. And so God, would would that person right now realize that they must turn and trust. Turn from their blindness and self-reliance and trust. And here's like the confusing thing, God. It just, like the Bible tells us that we cannot do that, but that we must. That's like a strange paradox, but if this person in this room today, God, is realizing that they must do that, then you right now are drawing them. You are you're grabbing them by the scruff of their neck and you are pulling them. And I'm going to speak to you directly. If that's you in here today and you are sensing that you have not done that, you know what that is? That is God grabbing the back of your collar. Now, now, just turn. Let yourself be jerked out of the way of that judgment truck, man. And turn and trust in Christ because there's this strange deal where God saves us. It's by grace alone, but it's through faith. So you must turn and trust in Christ. You don't got to fill out a card. You don't got to come down here. We're not going to clap or anything like that. Just right now, you just say, Jesus, I, you can say it right now with me in your own words and under your own breath. Just Jesus, I trust in you alone. You died on a cross and you bore the wrath. You stood in front of the truck for me. And right now, I finally, first time realize that. Maybe I've grown up in church or maybe this is my first time really hearing it. But Jesus, I I trust that you are the only one who can stop the truck that most certainly will take me out. And now I trust in you. And part of that is just realizing that I'm now beginning a process, not of instant perfection, but of just this growing transformation with you. And to do that, I've got to hang around with a bunch of people who are on that same process. If that's you right now, you just you turn and trust. Turn and trust. Christ. And if you're doing that right now, I'd love to talk to you after church when we're all done. I'd just love to get up, just look you in the eye and greet you and, and just pray with you. That's my first, that's my burden for that first group of people. If that's you, man, do that. Do that. We're not going to single you out. We'll just do that right now. Come on, you're, you're, you're a big kid. You can do that. You can do that right now. And if you're, like, your heart is beating, and you're, that's you right now. That's God grabbing the back of your shirt. Just Turn and trust. Be thankful. Just thank you, Jesus. The second group of people is just like Christians who, like me, just kind of so easily default back into this view that Jesus just helped us from bumping into a door. But God, would you do something more profound in our heart that you've rescued us and now we're to make our whole life, whether we are a school teacher or a pastor or a banker or a sales rep or a machinist or a coach or a housewife or a doctor or whatever we are we we are meant to live a life that helps people answer question number one and God would you help us get a hold of that and would we worship you now and we would respond to you with fervor and passion however you've made us to do that and I pray that in Jesus name Amen